Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Dr. Bob Gill. Dr. Bob Gill is a family doctor, a GP, who became an activist com- campaigning to prevent the privatisation of the NHS. That's the National Health Service in England. Now, wherever you are in the world, you'll love this because it reveals how... In plain sight, conspiracies unfold. United Healthcare, a big American firm, got one of their geezers, Simon Stephen, employed at the NHS. Then Simon Stephen goes back to work at United Healthcare, the company that does the PR for Purdue that did that big opioid crisis in America. They're all involved. It's you all love this because it shows you how big business and government and media operate in cahoots with one another to get their objectives met, even if it means ordinary people are going to get right turned over. It's fantastic. Stay with us to listen to Dr. Bob Gill, but let's just do a little bit of chatting first. All right, Jen? <laughs> How are you feeling today? I'm intermittent fasting. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely starving. That's my new catchphrase. Remember I told you two weeks ago that I was so hungry that I wasn't hungry anymore and I felt yeah. nauseous and you said that's weird. I think I accidentally do it often. I saw there's, there's a sort of euphoria, euphoria in it. Like, it makes you so hyper aware. Like, I can sort of, I'm like Neo. It makes you better at working. Yeah, because I can see how things are unfolding. I'm like, do that, do that, don't that, can't happen, that person's going to do that. Like, it's, I feel like, you know, like all prophets, they fast, don't they? Maybe life would have been different if he just ate at 12. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been, it would have been better. Because, like, the thing is, I've said it before, Jen, and I'll say it again. Ah. You're a right little wanker. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I'm saying that you've got to emulate the conditions that we evolved oh. for. Don't people now argue against that? What about them? Were they emulating their conditions before that? No, they were <laughs> They were adapting to ev- environmental necessity. Appetite meets environment. And it formed us. We formed from that. Now, I believe consciousness, as you know, is a fundamental component of reality. It's sort of a, a building block, as it were, sort of almost like carbon or something. It's a fundamental element of reality, not material, super material, beyond material electromagnetic i don't know how you want to think of it certainly it's beyond me but like so i think that we evolved for hundreds of thousands of years we would have had a culture totally built around we're arboreal apes or we're nomadic tribes and during that time we'd have ate in a certain pattern this is what this machine that we live in evolved for agriculture is over to only twelve thousand years ago that's when everything changes significantly in so many areas but the body is not altered to adapt for that that's why there's so much wheat intolerance lactose intolerance all these things that are beneficial from an economic perspective rather than a dietary perspective balls us up now bet in them days you wouldn't be like like leaping out of the trees and having a, like a bunch of bananas at, for breakfast and then always oh it's lunch no, time when you're hungry that's you'd what i do now this is the earliest no I've you eaten. wouldn't eat when you're hungry because you I'm wouldn't hungry. always be able to get food jengo but when there's food readily available i yeah, wait i now, wait till my body's hungry yeah that's than, a good all right fair enough i hear what you're saying porridge 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 i hear what you're saying and then no no porridge just what wait. do you mean? You argue with your body? No, I used to wake up and I think it's morning, so I should. So eat, I have to have I porridge. Unconscious. Seven a.m. Yeah. Then I'm hungry at eleven. Uh, look, you're not hearing my major point. <laughs> my major point is this: like you, you goes, oh, I eat when I'm hungry because there's always food available. Food available is a modern phenomenon. 
there wouldn't have always been food available. That is the, the miracle and the success of agriculture is food available. But the problem of that is it's warped our relationship <clears throat> with our environment in so many ways, in so many ways. But even if we just take from a dietary perspective, we're eating too bloody much. But I eat less now because and of the wrong it. food. Because I'm not, I'm not eating because I'm bored. I'm not eating because it's lunchtime. Anyway, look, Jan, I'm not interested. <laughs> Did you go on a date? A date? Uh, it's not a date, but I was staying with someone for three days. Who? A girl. Ah, what's she like? She's a singer. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. What type of a singer? Actually, I'm not sure. She does kind of bluesy stuff. Bluesy. Have yeah. you seen her perform? No, but she's sometimes just singing. Singing around? Yeah, singing around. Jen, you know, I'm as well as your friend, <laughs> I'm your boss. So, you know, you can uh, you can obviously refuse to answer this. But Jen, has, has there been a physical connection? No, because I told her that I was very distant and cold, like a cold plank. Like a cold metal plank is how oh, I describe myself. I love myself. your pillow talk, Jen. That's really good. <laughs> She's told her, you're distant and cold, <laughs> like, a cold like a cold metal plank. Yeah. Well, I can see the allure. And this she woman, said, yes, you... You know, she, said yes. she said yes. I agree. You, you are like, like a cold metal plank. No, she said, you look like you're disappearing into negative space when I come near you. <laughs> you need to sort your shit out. I don't feel well. <laughs> what do you mean? It's in my mind. Oh, you don't feel well in your mind? Yeah. Well, don't I pay for therapy for you, Jen? Yeah. Have you been going? <laughs> you idiot. You're mentally ill. You're not taking the pill. Because I kept listening to my same crap. Yeah, it's boring, isn't it? Therapy sometimes. Sad. You got to go deeper, Jen. You got to go down to the next. I wanted dimension. it to go deeper. You want to go deeper? Yeah, but it w- you ready to, to go deeper, baby? Anyone who was providing the service but wasn't going deeper. Hmm. What? What? The therapy one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the five, type of therapy you're getting was really is like putting out fires because you're quite severely mentally <laughs> no, ill. No, there's no fires. <laughs> Don't mean, no, there's, there needs to be a fire, doesn't there? There needs to be oh. a fire under the cold plank. Warm <laughs> yeah. it up into a hot rod. Oh. Yeah? Oh. Anyway, yeah, no, she's very nice. Her name's Serafina. Seraph, beautiful name. Yeah. Type of angel, right? Seraphin? Oh, yeah, maybe. Of course it is. Yeah. Banner B. Sorry about eating on mic, everyone. Look, Dr. Bob's coming up. <laughs> Let me do a bit of banter firstly. Banter decanter. Got me old toucan. Hey, someone gave me a letter and they gave me a toucan keyring thing. Because they know you're a toucan. Yeah, they must do. Problem was, Jen, this writing was so small, I couldn't read it. Do you need glasses? No, I need people <laughs> to write bigger. <laughs> or glasses? No, write bigger. Don't you need glasses, but you just do you think don't I wear would them. look cute in glasses? Glasses make everything better, and then even new accessory you can wear if you want to have nice accessories. I do want that. I like it. What type of glasses would I wear? It was quite good when you put on my black rimmed ones. Why wouldn't you let me wear those expensive sunglasses? Because your head's slightly bigger than mine. How dare you say (laughs) that, you cold metal plank. (laughs) My head is... When I went to the opticians, they fit them for my head shape. They were like, oh, I'm just going to adjust it. Well, they got special pinhead glasses, have they? From the pinhead (laughs) section. Oh, I don't have a pinhead. (laughs) Why don't well, you get hermit crab? What a wreck! Yeah, hermit crab tries to find love but moves around. Listen, I, I see a future for you in Serafina, and I want Serafina Taylor. She's like Serafina Taylor, all right, mate. I want you to 
to really give it a go. And she's I know really she, nice. I don't know how she put up with me for four days. I was like, Jen, I, should, I need to I leave. I don't know how I put up with you this podcast. <laughs> I really thought I burned this person Four days. Alive. You're stopping yeah. in the same house. Yeah. And then you're disappearing in a negative space whenever Serafina <laughs> try to get some. Yeah. Why? Because I feel I'm a complex person in my mind. There's too much going on up there. Just let go. I man. can't know because there's too much. Drop below it. No, it's not real. It's an illusion. Yeah, but I only like connecting with people when it's in the proper intimate way. Oh, well, that's kind, and that's all right. You do what you like, mate. Listen, if you need any help <laughs> with intimate no, relationships, you can't. you're not coming over. I'm coming right now, like a record. <laughs> oh, but she's into polyamory. What, mate? She's polyamorous. Wow, you really. We're living, you should be living my life, I should be living yours. <laughs> Why should I be living your life? <laughs> <laughs> nice and quiet. <laughs> yeah, I have a whole community waiting. I'm just a bit negative spacey at the moment. <laughs> right, well, take your time, negative spacey. <laughs> um, here's some comments on the Crystal Ball episode. Now time for comments. Lynn writes... That's a very beautiful, super concise way of putting it. Choose the politics that would work for you or anyone, wherever in that system you slotted in. That's from what's he called, John Rawls, isn't it? Oh, you that maxim yeah. that a society should be based on you, wherever you were in. If you didn't know what role you were going to be playing, how would you organise a society? You know, what would you want bin men being paid if you thought you might be a bin man? What would you want nurses being paid if you thought you might be a nurse? What would you want millionaires getting paid if you weren't going to be one? We've got to be a million just due to the nature of the name. <laughs> but, you know, you know John Rolls, um, my mate Dan's writing a book about him. Be out soon. He'll come on the show as a guest. The other thing is, like, you know, with kids, you let one kid cut the cake and the other kid chooses first. You know that thing? Oh. Yeah, I don't know with my kids. I don't let them have knives. They're very violent children. But that's the theory. So you can't anyway. cut the cake and choose? You can't cut and choose, baby. One cuts, one choose. Good system? Yeah. This intermittent starving is killing me. All right, so breaking points. <laughs> Kristen Wright goes, it's my go for news. It's my, go it's my go-to for news. I love seeing the fusion of spirituality and politics. Russell, I'm super inspired by you. Keep speaking out. But watch out for Jenny Mae Finn. She's a piece of negative spacey. <laughs> Listen to shout-out, shout-out, shout-outs. Listen to shout-outs. Right, this is a review from Apple Podcasts. Remember to leave us a review because we like being reviewed. I like five star ones if that's right with you. Also, remember to harshly criticise Jenny Mayfin. No, don't be nice to her. Last winter, when things felt real bleak, said Catherine Winge. What do you think it's Wing? <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's Catherine Winge or Wing? Well, is there a G at the end? Yeah, or an, an e. e. That's Winge, isn't it? Someone's going to be called Winge. I like it, Winge. Because yeah. you've got to go, it's good to teach a kid language, like when you have to teach it, nk, like you go, nk, nk, nk. Like ink. Yeah, like ink and think and stink. You have to go to them, nk, nk, and they go, nk, nk, nk. They're so cute. Last winter, when things felt real bleak, said Catherine Winge, I would listen to Under the Skin on headphones while I made dinner for my family, and it was so helpful. Your enlightening conversations not only helped me keep a bigger perspective on things, I also felt a sort of companionship. Like... I just got to hang out with some smart, cool, spiritual friends while cooking dinner. It really filled my cup. Mm, <laughs> nice. So thank you. I can't list all my favourite episodes because there are too many. Some that come to mind right now, Biet Simkin. Love Biet. Love Biet. Yeah. Breathy Biet. 
Yeah. The breath work with her later. Duncan Trussell, fantastic. Love Duncan. Eckhart Tolle, oh. Brene Brown, who doesn't? David Kessler, talking about death and grief. Dr. Taglin, that was a good episode, wasn't it? Quantum physics and meditation. Sadhguru, all sorts of teachings. Philip Goff, don't remember that one. Panpsychism. Oh, yeah, panpsychism. I could go on and on. Thanks. That's a really good shout out, Catherine Wing. I'm going to say Wing because I feel that at some point in history, you would go, should we change this from whinge to wing? But wouldn't you just get rid of the E? Is that, is that not really the only way of changing it is changing how to spell? You get rid of that E, you've got yourself the name Wing. But isn't that like a Chinese name? <clears throat> I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Or Native American person. Mm. <laughs> Who knows, Are man? you fading? What? Fading, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's to do with the energy. All right, let's listen, to, let's listen to Dr. Bob Gill. Remember, I told you at the beginning what it was going to be about. It's absolutely amazing, this. Now, remember, of course, you're meant to be subscribing to my mailing list. Go to russellbrand.com for that. Watch all my YouTube videos. They're fantastic. Subscribe to the Awakening channel as well. And remember, I do like live events. We're doing moving into the live events world. Do you remember when I've done that live event, Jen? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. And it was good, wasn't it, Jen? Yes. What about when everyone was just like meditating? There I was just up on a stage, just as our sweet Lord intended. No. How does that make you feel about the impossibility of the old cult, Jen, when you see me in a tent? There's a TikTok stage. video about it. What it Showed up on my feed. What it say? I always feel weird when you show up on my personal TikTok feed. I can do what I, I want. Like I can go it. where I like. I'm free. I'm like, free digital what's spirit. What's going on with Russell Brand? Is this cult actually happening? And it was photos from that event. Yep. Well, it's not a cult, really, because it's voluntary. No one's taking your money. But, I'm not. It's leaderless. But aren't all cults kind of initially voluntary? That's how we always start the cult, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the thing is, is the number one thing that my job is, is to not let me be mental. Do you think someone might go crazy and think that the ultimate way of connecting with you is killing you? Probably, Jen. But <laughs> let me just tell him in advance, I would prefer a little bit of a chat or a note, but in bigger handwriting. Because unless I do get those glasses. You should wear glasses, you look great. When I wear glasses, Jen, I look like a 1980s secretary, like someone what? that could be in 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton. Why do you look like a secretary? No, 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 no. I look like, like Lily Tomlin in like 9 to 5. What glasses are you wearing? Have a cup of ambition. You know Lily Tomlin in 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda? I know Jane Fonda. What doing with your life, Jen? I don't know. Right, come on. This is Dr. Bob Gilp. Is there any other promo I meant to have done? Because you're the Above producer. Above the noise, YouTube. Yeah, above the noise. Go and meditate. You'll love it. Jen writes the descriptions. Poor little sod. What? <laughs> Doing above the noise. Do you think I have to go into spiritual me to do that? No. I bet you just sit in your cerebral little nitwit net. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> little nitwit. What's that mean, the nitwit net? The nitwit net is a sort of a set of synaptic connections in the brain that you dwell within rather than expanding through meditation. I'm trying to expand. You're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on, let's, let's end this. I've promoted everything, Jen. Mailing list. Sign up for my mailing list at russellbrand.com. Watch my YouTube videos. Do the meditation, listen to Dr. Bob Gill, check it. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful yeah, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? 
Welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Dr. Bob, thank you for coming on Under the Skin. Thank you very much, Russell. Mate, why are we doing this podcast together? What is it you want to talk about? I want to um, tell everybody about how the NHS is at the point of total corporate capture. Um, it's a process that's taken decades to get to where we are. And the bill before Parliament, uh, as we speak, will seal the deal, I'm afraid. It will put in charge of NHS budgets, American corporations, in particular United Health, America's biggest insurer. Uh, they'll be in charge of the budgets and they are, they are remolding the system to replicate uh, the American managed care model, which was featured in Michael Moore's film Sicko, mm -hmm. where you know profit is derived through the denial of care. And this would be a catastrophe for, for, for everybody in this country. How is it, doctor, and how is it, doctor, that this is happening and we're not hearing anything about it? Why am I not seeing on the news, you know, particularly during this time of the pandemic where the British people's love of the National Health Service has been mobilised? Oh, you've got to get the NHS track and trace app. Oh, you've got to maintain social distancing to protect our NHS. All of these things where you mobilise the feelings of um, you know, respect and passion that British people have quite rightly for the National Health Service. Why is this not being put to the forefront? A lot of our listeners are American as well. And are, so it's important that we sort of include a global perspective. But, you know, like having some form of public health care is vital. It's a vital principle. Otherwise, why have a nation at all? I would argue if the nation does nothing for its people, just, you know, accept it's a free-for-all. But the, firstly, I'd like to challenge, or not challenge you, inquire of you, from a why is this not in the media? Why are we not reading about this or seeing about this? Well, it is central to the plan for it to succeed. The, the public have to be kept in the dark. If the public really knew what was going on, this wouldn't happen. Um, unfortunately, the BBC, you know, many of us have seen particularly how they've reported recent events. They do not do a good job of holding government to account. The senior leaders within the BBC are appointed by government. So that's one problem. The commercial channels have a financial interest in this going forward because they'll be carrying the adverts for the insurance companies. We're seeing more and more drug companies, uh, drug products being advertised directly to, to the public. So, so there is a problem. There's a big problem within media, but we've also got a political problem. We've had four decades of two parties which are more or less agreed on the direction of travel, which is neoliberalism. Now, we had a short break uh, with the election of Jeremy Corbyn, where we finally heard somebody utter the words NHS privatization and came from a senior political leader. But we saw what happened to the Corbyn project. It was, you know, undermined and sabotaged. So we have normal play has resumed. We have media silence on this issue. And we have very weak opposition, which just misdirects the public in terms of talking about budgets. This is not about budgets. This is not about more money. It's about where the money is going and what the ethos is behind providing care. Do we want corporations to maximize profit or do we want the delivery of the best care possible to the whole population? I've just done two stories. You know, I do like these videos on YouTube. We did one story 
but it was about um, Fauci's knowledge of funding of gain of function in the Wuhan labs. We did one story on the FDA's funding increasingly coming from the pharmaceutical companies that it regulates. In essence, the divisions between the nation of the United Kingdom and the and the, not even the nation of the United States, these set of corporate entities that are housed within the United States, they're powerful corporations, which could be understood to be the true centralized power within that nation for which the administration provides a veil in the same way that traditionally with the United Kingdom, it, the corporate class, the colonial class would be able to colonize the world under the flag of the British Empire, but ultimately performing the function of corporate interest, you know, even like good old fashioned companies like East India Tea say uh like it just shows me that in a sense all of the rhetoric of government all the rhetoric around free media uh, the our encouragement to love the nhs and to pull together you know through this time of crisis is uh it's a fallacy it's deception and the truth of the matter is that there's nothing that they won't put a pound note sign or a dollar sign on when it comes to the crunch Absolutely. You know, I've I, I watched the uh, and listened to the programs you referred to and, and extremely interesting and captivating they are. You also did a program recently on Pardew Pharma. Uh, Pardew Pharma, your audience will know, they, they were the pharmaceutical company that led directly to about 500,000 deaths from opiate addiction in the States. Now, the company that is involved in NHS privatization, one of the companies is called McKinsey. McKinsey is a management consultant and was recently uh, had, to, was, was, had to pay a legal fine of $600 million for advising Pardue Pharma on how to maximize profit, even when the scandal was coming out. Now, these are the people who are heading up the privatization of our NHS. You know, these, the caliber, the amorality, the, the pursuit of money, irrespective of the consequences, is what is shaping public policy in this country and in America. Talk to Bob, at the beginning of our conversation, you said there's a bill before Parliament right now with a vote. Do you mean literally right now? When's that vote? Yeah, so it's had the second reading. It's in committee stage as we speak. Uh, it was introduced back in uh, May of this year. During the pandemic, using the narrative of the pandemic as there are lessons to be learned and we need to reform the NHS. But these plans were in place before the pandemic. The architect of much of what's going on at the moment is a Mr. Simon Stevens, who is chief executive of the NHS, recently replaced but elevated up to the House of Lords. Now, his job before he became chief executive of NHS England was president of global expansion for United Health, America's biggest insurer. And now we have a bill before Parliament, which will, in essence, enable the budgets of the NHS to be transferred out of public control and create new legal entities, which they're calling integrated care boards. Uh, very, very passive and you know, good sounding name. But the reality is this is the Kaiser Permanente model of managed care, which, as I said earlier, was the subject of Michael Moore's film Sicko. And thanks, thanks to the Nixon tapes that were revealed during the Watergate scandal, we heard from Nixon's advisor, Earl Rickman, 
what this was all about. And just to paraphrase what he said, the less care you give them, patients, the more money you make, the corporation. That's what it's all about. Well, man. So that guy, Simon Stevens, previously was running the NHS. Before that, he was running United Health. United Health is a big insurance agency. United Health are getting bought in. They're going to be awarded great big contracts with of public money, the ordinary folks' money, all of us that pay taxes. Our money will be funneled towards that. And the ethos you have just articulately explained to us, doctor, is the less care, the more profit. Similar to the FDA processes around drug licensing that mean that corners can be cut, shorter trials, less effective results, you know, as long as down the line products can be recalled or rescinded. Or, you know, no wonder that when you hear something like this, doctor, does it make you, does it help you to understand why there is cynicism around matters of public health at the moment when there is so little reason to trust the people in positions of authority? Absolutely. You just have to look at the response of the, you know, of, for the pandemic that this government undertook. First, they expressed their herd immunity policy. Then later on, uh, they invested billions, which was a £22 billion catastrophe in a privatised response run by Serco, an outsourcing giant, and Deloitte, an accountancy firm, neither of whom have any public health experience. And, You're talking about track you know, and trace. They awarded the contract for the NHS yeah. track and trace, which is called... I remember thinking at the time, is this thing NHS? Is this an NHS track and trace? Because I don't remember the NHS being a tech company that create apps. So the NHS track test and trace system was actually Serco, uh, who are sort of... Uh, what are Serco and what are... Delois or Delo, what are they? So Serco is an outsourcing giant. They they have, they make all their money, well, a lot of their money from public outsourcing contracts, running prisons and the like. And Deloitte, Deloitte is one of the big four accountancy firms, a multinational corporation. Um, so those, those two companies were selected to run the NHS, supposedly, track and trace system, which the Public Accounts Committee recently found despite the massive cost, failed to affect the progress of the pandemic. So the reason waste the of government, money. Gov yeah, the government justified spending these large sums of money that they wouldn't have another lockdown. We wouldn't need another lockdown if we spent and invested this money. But the money went down the drain because it had no impact on the second lockdown and the third lockdown. So this was money that could have been spent building up the NHS building up public health again, which was destroyed uh, by the 2012 Act, which we could come to later on. The NHS was in a very poor state even before the pandemic. And rather than learn the lessons of privatisation, they doubled down and rerouted billions to these private companies with no experience in healthcare. Of course, that 22 billion will presumably show up as profit for um, Serco or Delo or Delois, name I refuse to learn. Like at some point, that's going to show up as profit. So it's not a total loss if you are a, a shareholder at one of those 
um, uh, private companies. And, I, and so that's just one area where you can see the intervention of corporate interests in government business led to ineptitude and incompetence if you consider the uh, care of ordinary people to be important. But as you said at the beginning, if you deny the care, you increase the profit. So that's the sort of mantra or at least ideal that underwrites these systems. Where else have we seen um, these uh, problems pay out in the, play out in the pandemic, mate? Well, there was a, there was a quite a well-covered scandal in terms of uh, procuring protective equipment for medical staff. So the, the PPE scandal. We found out recently that uh, the cabinet office had a VIP lane. Now, if you had connections to the government or the Conservative Party and you put in a bid for a contract, whether you had any experience or not, you had a 10 times greater chance of succeeding in a contract bid if you were, had those previous associations. So this connection between big business, links to political parties, links to government, is a form of corruption which is being exposed by groups like the Good Law Project and has been covered in the Sunday Times. So this is uh, you know, pretty blatant looting of the treasury under our noses. And what, what this new bill that is currently before parliament will do was in fact remove the, the element of public scrutiny that we do have when awarding these contracts, something called competitive tendering. One of the clauses of the current act will remove competitive tendering so government can hand out multi-billion pound contracts lasting decades without any public oversight. So they are doubling down the scandalous fraud and corruption that they got away through the pandemic in this bill. You're a GP in uh, Kent. You're a family doctor, a family doctor in uh, Kent. How come you've got pulled into all this politicisation? What's mobilised you and galvanised you and given you the courage to speak out in this way? Have you faced professional challenges? I know that a lot of GPs and doctors receive like handouts from big pharma, particularly in the United States. I don't know how it is here, get paid money by big pharma companies and stuff like that. How come you've not been uh, crushed by a money hammer? Well, how I got in was we, I'd already, my patients in Sidcup, uh, their main hospital was down the road, Queen Mary's Hospital in Sidka. And during my time at my practice, we lost the A&E department there. We lost the maternity department there. We lost the acute medical and surgical beds. Now, I started to notice the impact on my patient care. It's, it's pretty obvious that this will have an impact. But the, the surrounding hospitals couldn't struggle with the additional workload. So I was sending patients in who needed admission. They would bounce out of the hospital, sometimes worse than when I'd sent them in. So, you know, you, again, accepting lower standards of care can easily become normalized over, town, over time. But then there was a threat to another hospital down the road, Lewisham Hospital. This was quite a high profile uh, a public pushback against the, the closure proposals in Lewisham. And that's when I finally decided I need to get involved. I can't keep quiet anymore. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How is our government doing this to us? And, you know, I've been quietly doing, minding my own business, raising a family, paying off a mortgage, getting on with a day job. But this I saw as a, an immediate big threat to the very survival of my patients. And what was I to do? Sit back? 
so I tried to engage with local medical leaders and it was actually one of the conversations I had with uh, a local GP leader um, who, who I described what was happening to my patients and he said three things to me he said you're too sensitive <laughs> your patients are unlucky and don't worry you're not paying for any of this now, I thought if, if that is the response to people in positions of power and responsibility to protect public health provision, then, you know, clearly they're selecting the wrong people for the job and I need to do something. So, so that's when I set, set about, you know, trying to get involved in campaign groups, learning about what's going on, learning about health economics, learning about policy and discovering that this hadn't started in 2012 when the Health and Social Care Act was passed because that was a major progression of the privatization. This had started decades before. And in fact, it, it dates back uh, 1988, I would say was the key date. Um, it's when Oliver Letwin MP and John Redwood MP were commissioned uh, to write a piece on exactly how you, how you repurpose a public service to an American style insurance system without people noticing. So it was a revelation to me, you know, how how far this process had gone. Um, can you in sort of, terms is of, that written, sorry to interrupt you, is that written down somewhere? Is that something you can see? Like how we can turn the NHS into an American style health insurance system without anyone noticing? Is there a sort of a paper trail for that? Absolutely. So his, his document uh, published by the Center for po Policy Studies is on the net. Uh, I can, you know, I can send you a link to it, and it summarised the key steps. Uh, there were one, five steps. Step one: establish the NHS and an in, as an independent trust. Well, that's what the 2012 Act did. It separated the Department of Health out to a new quango called NHS England, which essentially is a privatisation board stuffed with people from the private sector who've gone through the revolving door. And now we're an NHS badge, busily trashing the NHS. Increased joint ventures between the NHS and the private sector. I'll give you one example, private finance initiative, where the public went to private banks and financiers and said, lend us some money, we want to build new hospitals. Now, there was never a need to do that. There is a magic money tree. The government discovered it when it gave out the test and trace contracts that I mentioned earlier. We could have funded this through pu public borrowing, but they chose to get into bed with the private sector and have saddled the NHS with a massive uh, financial millstone. I'll give you the figures. We borrowed 11 billion. You know how much we're going to pay back? 88 billion. At the end of which we won't own the hospitals. This is a financial scam on a monumental level. So that's one example of public-private partnerships. Step three, extend the principle of charging. Now we've set up a whole charging system for immigrants and health tourists to, get, to, to claim back money which wouldn't even cover the administrative cost. So why has the government introduced an expensive system of charging, setting fees, collecting the money, if the amount you collect wouldn't even cover the admin cost because they want to extend it to everybody? Step four, a system of health credits. 
this 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 is called at the moment public health sorry personal health budgets it's a mechanism which they'll be using to keep the most expensive patients away from going to private insurance at the moment because they'll get rejected but what the nhs will become is a tax funded budget for you which becomes transferable transferable to a private insurance company to make up for those services that the NHS no longer provides. Because that's part of the strategy to chip away at the universality and comprehensiveness of the NHS. Interestingly, the company that is drawing up the services to cut is that company I mentioned earlier, McKinsey, the advisors to Purdue Pharma, who were paying out a, a fine now of $600 million to settle without uh, admitting any liability. So that's four steps. Step five, a national insurance scheme. So your every individual in this country will have, let's say, a budget of two to three thousand pounds attached to their name, which is a, a is the equivalent of Medicare and Medicaid. Public funding to provide basic level of uh, health care which you can top up if you can afford to. So the five steps are there. And what the current bill does, it puts into law what has been already going on for over a decade, because these companies aren't going to arrive sometime in the future. They're already embedded within the NHS. There was something in 2006 called world-class world commissioning, where United Health, the big four accountancy firms, McKinsey, were all brought in to give us their friendly advice on how to run the NHS. And they are embedded within, within the fabric of the NHS now. They're running it now. And what the new legislation does, it formally hands over the NHS to them. It's interesting when you use the example of the involvement of a company like McKinsey who have been involved in advising Purdue around the opioid crisis that created for half a million deaths and meant that there were payouts of 600 million because it shows you what the incentives are, what the ideology is, and that you would think in a sane world that that would be prevented immediately if the incentives of government were really to serve people whether you're talking about the united states or our country you would not involve such a mendacious organization that exists solely to mask the malfeasance of organizations such as those which we're descri describing and the uh the malevolent intentions of projects such as this one and so it's you, you believe that the um power of organizations such as these that we're describing whether it's sort of groups like mckenzie or the united health whoever them dudes were like that their power transcends national boundaries and certainly transcends pol apparent political divisions in so much as you c cannot envisage the current labor party or you know democrat or republican party ever opposing this kind of uh this kind of endeavor is that would you say that like would the labor party what are they going to vote for this bill what we're seeing is performative theater so when you have a 80 mp majority it doesn't really matter what the opposition says or does even if the labor party uh totally vote against this bill the point is they are not informing the public 
There is no public discourse about the imminent capture of the NHS by American multinational corporations, particularly the insurance industry. There is no discussion about this. It's all about let's spend a bit more money here and we'll spend one billion more than you will. That is not where this debate needs to be. A genuine Labour Party that wants to put a stop to this would, would be explaining where the threat is. And that's not what we're hearing. Hmm. What do you think we should do? I, I think number one has to be the awakening of as many people as possible. Um, I'm hoping we can get to a tipping point where people realize this is absolutely disastrous. Uh, equip people to recognize the techniques being used to break social solidarity, to ratchet up the anti-immigrant rhetoric so that we, rather than forming bonds and uh, connections with our, our friend, friends and neighbors, we start to resent them and we start to say that person is undeserving of care. I'm going to look after number one and take out insurance. These are the tricks that are being put against us. More of us need to recognize what's going on. We need powerful voices to step forward and, and get behind this effort to, to raise awareness because without, without knowledge, we have no, no way of influencing what's going on. We need to spot the lies. We need to put pressure on our leaders. And I mean proper pressure, not just pleading with them. You know, Groups like uh, Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, that's the level of activity we need to get involved in um you, you mean know, direct action and non-cooperation but of course like extinction rebellion uh an organization for whom i have much sympathy and, and some connection to are kind of regarded as some you know i'm talking about the optics rather than the reality and these optics actually apply to the subject of climate change and, and ecology more broadly as a sort of a, a somewhat bourgeois m metropolitan idea and i suppose that makes sense when you consider that um, many working people don't have time to care about the environment because they're too busy staving off actual right-in-your-face poverty. Um, Black Lives Matter, a, a movement for whom I have a great deal of respect and support, are categorised as being sort of a, a, a Marxist and against the interests of many patriotic folk, whether it's in uh, you know America or our country. When you talked about the vilification of immigrants, I was um, minded to say that there's a comparable ongoing vilification of working class people, uh, you know, like a post Brexit, a, a kind of vilification, idiots, even some skin related hate speech in the in the term gammon, a kind of a loathing for like people from like, you know, the North, Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables style rhetoric, this hatred, you know, like one side of the arrangement is hatred of like non-white people. The other side of it is a kind of a hatred of an entire economic class, regardless of their kind of racial or religious identity. And, and as long as we live in this kind of um, heated social space of heightening conflagration it's very difficult for people to come together and recognize that we have if not a common enemy because i don't really like that use of that kind of hateful language we certainly have a common obstacle a common opponent absolutely i think you know we we need to recognize that these divisions do not um appear 
out of nowhere. There is a whole process of dividing people up, uh, reinforcing and creating stereotypes, uh, demonization of various groups. That takes some work. And that's what the right-wing media is there for. It is there to enable divide and rule and distraction. The more divided we are, the more distracted we are, the less chance we have to come together and fight for what is in our mutual interest, whether you're working class, not working, middle class, it is in all our interest to have an NHS because the targets of these reforms aren't the poor. The poor will be allowed to die without treatment. They'll be allowed to carry on suffering without treatment. The targets of these reforms are the middle classes who will be fleeced of their premiums, get treatment when it's pretty straightforward, but as soon as they become expensive and complicated, the insurers will look for reasons to dump them. Mm. Now, it's our job to explain the business model of private health care to people so they wake up and realize what is being taken from them is a fundamental basic security for anybody to progress in life. If you get struck with illness, your, your ability to work is on the line, your ability to look after your family is on the line, and pretty soon, potentially the whole fabric of your, your, your existence is under threat. Without healthcare, we are all in danger. This is pretty cool. So advanced late capitalism don't care about your skin color, but it wants you to care about your skin color and other people's skin color and other people's class and political persuasion and Brexit and Trump and all that stuff so that they can march on with their model of monetizing everything. I like the way you explained that there it will be ordinary middle class folk who, you know, like, yeah, pop, the price for the poor will be death and suffering as always. And uh, uh, middle class people will be paying for this. They'll be wrung out and drained. And, you know, like the idea of the, the wealth transfer that's taken place during this pandemic is a, a, a matter of that we can clearly observe. And, you know, and we can see during the course of this conversation that 22 billion of that wealth was transferred from taxpayers because it was government money that comes from ordinary folk that went into the, that Serco contract a little earlier. And there are obviously countless examples of the transfers of wealth. And that this project is primarily about that, that it is the function of the government to ensure that populations can be um, metastasized to and metabolized into wealth for already wealthy interests. So I wonder what kind of populist movement might be required, Doctor, to countenance these kind of radical changes that are taking place in a a, a a clandestine way that and 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 the the the, the fact that the, the changes are obfuscated makes it all the more difficult to envisage opposing them and the fact that you know whether it's print media uh, tv media like there is no opposition to to it why would a politician like a uh, you know Keir Starmer or you know or any politician of the left not think oh my god this is amazing what this is an open goal all i need to do so you know that nhs that we were all clapping for on a thursday remember the first day clapping well mm. now they're trying to privatize it it's not going to be your nhs our nhs anymore it's going to belong to um 
foreign companies, American companies in this instance, it's going to be cannibalized from the outside and hollowed out, which is the function of these kind of ideologies and always has been. Like, what, what does it tell us about the political class that this kind of discourse doesn't happen? Unfortunately, the political class is captured. Um, you know, people don't, the vast majority of people who go into politics aren't really getting in because of principle. There's a lot more people who are purely careerists. They see it as a, an opportunity to earn income after politics. We've seen quite notably the example of David Cameron, who made millions trying to shoehorn the finance company Greensill into the, into the NHS, and that was quite a scandal. Look at Tony Blair. He has gone on to make tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, uh, following his stint as prime minister, because he did the bidding of George Bush and enabled the, you know, disastrous, catastrophic uh, war in Afghanistan and Iraq. So our politics is not attracting the right people. If the right people do somehow get to a position of power, they're taken down very swiftly. So we have to create a level of awareness such that the politicians are fearful of the public's reaction. The longer we stay in the dark, the more they can get away with. You know, what, what, one of my uh, other things I support is the campaign to, to free Julian Assange. And he said something, uh, you know, a few years ago, in 2011, he described the, the situation in Afghanistan. And I think it has some relevance to this discussion. Just to quote, he said, the goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States, out of the tax bases of European countries through Afghanistan and back into the hands of transnational security elite. The goal is to have an endless war, not a successful war. Now I put to you the parallel with the NHS is the purpose is not to provide high quality, good care for everybody. The purpose is to reroute money out of the taxpayers' pockets into American corporations. And if the politicians can help themselves to a slice of the action, that's what they're in it for. We need to say, we see what you're up to. The game is over and you need to start treading the straight and narrow before you, know, you feel public pressure, public backlash. Well, I think we're in like V for Vendetta territory now, Doctor. I mean, it's like it's there's when I listen to this, I sit here and I feel very, very angry is what happens. And, you know, that does it like you said you've got family and stuff like that. You still you're practicing as a GP still. Are you You're like in a I surgery? Am, yeah. I'm, I'm practicing. Uh, I'm working full time. I'm a GP trainer. I see young doctors coming in. They spend a, a year in my practice before they become fully fledged independent GPs. Russell, the thing that is keeping me going is I am seeing the impact on patient care. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, a patient of mine, a lady in her 70s, presented with severe back pain uh, and neurological symptoms. I sent her into A&E. She bounced in, in and out three times before the penny dropped that this lady had spinal cord compression. Now, this was despite me spelling it out clearly that this is what was going on with no special equipment, just my clinical skills. And, and the, the history was clear. 
she ended up paralyzed from the waist down. This was preventable. I had another lady in her 50s who developed painless jaundice. Now, a, a medical student should be able to tell you painless jaundice in somebody of middle age is pancreatic cancer until proven otherwise. That diagnosis wasn't made. She was sent away from an overstretched A&E department. There were subsequent delays to her diagnosis and treatment, which meant this small cancer could no longer be surgically operated on, and that significantly affected her outcome. So I can't switch off from this. It's anger that drives me. Uh, I'm not afraid of any sanction against me. I've had that discussion with my wife. I can't keep quiet anymore about what's going on because I can see that, you know, the doctors and nurses now and in the future will be trapped in a corporate toxic dysfunctional system which is actively harming the patients they're trying to look after. And that is destroying their soul. It's inflicting moral injury on a mass scale to enrich very few already very rich people. This, this cannot be tolerated. Brilliant. Um, in our podcast and in much of my online content, I cautiously discuss much of the legislation around the pandemic and its treatments. Given the way you've outlined the relationship between media, big business, big pharma, and the evident corruption that takes place between these bodies and their revolving doors, with something like this pandemic and its suggested solutions, how do you maintain a state of open-minded optimism? It's difficult because we are having to accept advice from people we know that have let, let, let us down and misled us and lied to us. But occasionally they tell us some truths. That is the problem. How, how can the general public discern with minimal information which of these statements do I actually pay attention to? It's not easy anymore. So, you know, there's a big push for vaccination at the moment. Uh, we know that Big Pharma are loving the pandemic. They're making record profits. And at what point do we say, you know, vaccination once, twice, and now a booster before we vaccinate the third world? You know, does, is that really the right way to go? Or is this a business model? Is this a profit maximization model? Is the policy, public health policy, being decided on what? in the interest of the corporations, or is it being decided in the interest of, of the public? And, you know, on any in individual uh, announcement, all those, all those balances go through my head. Who does this serve? What is the purpose of this act? What, what are they actually hoping to achieve? And, you know, it gets harder and harder. Optimism, optimism is key. We have to have hope. Otherwise, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't be doing this show. I love chatting to you, Russell, and it's fantastic we're talking, but I've got other things to be doing. I have to have hope to be spending so much time trying to fight against what's going on. Without hope, we're lost. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that a, we need a well-motivated, significant but small we don't need the whole population to get on their feet and fight back whenever successful social movements have occurred it's taken a committed small percentage to turn things around 
that's what we need to find. And I'm hoping if enough people listen to us talking today, we'll find some of those committed people who can, who can accept that this is outrageous what's going on and are willing to put some time and fight uh, against it. Do you ever consider that there are some subjects that are galvanizing significant attention outside of the mainstream discourse that are comparable to the matters we are discussing, particularly related to legislation and regulation around the pandemic, where there do seem to be uh, movements emerging that are opposing much of the regulation? And do you see that how they are treated in the media and the sort of censorship around it? Obviously, a person in my position has to be incredibly circumspect and say time and time again, I have no opinion on how people should uh, respond to this um, pandemic. And I would suggest that they take the advice of, you know, physicians with regard to any med medical matter. But I've observed that there are significant protests taking place, that there is a lot of doubt. And perhaps as we have just discussed, that doubt comes from the kind of environment we're living in, an environment where the, the relationships between politicians, corporate entities uh, transnational ones at that are pretty clear and are uh, 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 lubricated by financial exchange this has always been the case this is not unique to this pandemic but when measures are taken like you know the vaccination of increasingly younger people and where the data seems doesn't appear to indicate that there is a necessity it's it, in terms of morbidity for example that that, that is helpful it isn't that likely to make people think, well, what is the motive? Is there a profit motive at play when these companies, the very companies that uh, benefited from the opioid epidemic during which they have now been proven to have behaved irresponsibly? Is that not cause for some doubt? It's not. I know that's not what you've come here to talk about. And I don't want to go too. you know, like neither of us are in a position to go too far down any avenues of judgment there. But, you know, I, I mentioned this because Sometimes I think as an, a person interested in activism and utilizing the power of the populace, the populare, the population, like what do, instead of telling them what to care about, look at what they do care about and then help them to express that and sh and demonstrate where else where these interests cross over yeah look what else these corporations are doing look what's happening right now you know this is something you can do something about do you see how we perhaps have to use the alchemy of what's happening of the various energies that are bubbling up the various dis forms of dissatisfaction and opposition that are available yeah i think you know, there's a rich theme to tap into. People are people are becoming aware that there are other agendas afoot. You know, the, the pandemic is being used as cover for a lot of things that I, I I totally disagree with. You know, one is vaccine passports. Now, you know, I heard your conversation with Edward Snowden about uh, mass surveillance and and how the, the the state has secretly been collecting data on everybody. Well. Why do we need a vaccine passport when we know immunization doesn't stop you getting reinfected and doesn't stop you passing on the infection? There is no logical reason to go down the vaccine passport wow. route. Wow. So, so that, is, that is total nonsense. Only this week we had the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization saying we do not recommend extending vaccination to under 16, yet the government has ignored their advice and said, no, we will vaccinate these, these younger groups. 
So why are they doing that? Is it to maximize the profit for Pfizer and AstraZeneca? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Might that have anything to do with it? So, so, you know, they are undermining trust in institutions that we must have trust in, but they are undermining it. So I do not condemn anybody for having a view which is expressing mistrust on one particular narrative or the other, because they're already showing themselves to be critical thinkers on some level. But we need to tap into that critical thinking and say, well, you know, we know corporate interests seem to dominate decision making. How do you think about them taking over our healthcare? Isn't that a fight you can join us with? I once heard this amazing thing about Rupert Murdoch from someone who worked closely with him. They said the thing that defines Rupert Murdoch is he lives as if he's not going to die. And they said that it's kind of like that if Rupert Murdoch is unable to get some advantageous bit of legislation passed that will benefit his many interests in media. This is, you know, 10 years ago when Rupert Murdoch was a more vilified and I suppose more relevant figure before the sort of communications revolution and the emergence of big tech and Silicon Valley and other places where perhaps that power is somewhat migrated to. Anyway, they said that Murdoch sees himself as somehow, you know, immortal or at least thinks like he's immortal. As in, if something don't get passed now, don't worry, it will come around again. The opportunity will come around again. In my own experiences around activism, most notably when I was involved in supporting a campaign to maintain the residential rights of a housing estate in East London, a campaign that got pretty active and got a lot of attention and the women that were organising it won, right? And like the private firm that were going to take over their homes and turn them into private flats and kick them out, backed off. But this was 10 years ago. And now those private interests have taken over those flats. You know, they got they can play a longer game. Capitalism can play a longer game. Tony Blair can be making decisions around the Iraq war in 1999 or 2001 or whenever it was. And like he can wait until he's out of office and until he gets, you know, whatever. You know, if, I'm sure if we were to examine where the Tony Blair Foundation gets its funding from, we would find some interesting coincidences, should we call them. You know, so with something like, this you know even if we were able to galvanize people and say look at what's happening the nhs that you were out there clapping on a thursday for is getting taken over by the people that supported and helped uh, organize and execute the opioid pandemic the dude that's running the nhs used to run this company that's going to come in and take all your money and it don't matter this ain't just going to kill poor people and immigrants you know and like those five steps you just talked us through and all of that you know that you know, it's like almost like it feels sometimes like you can hold it at bay for a minute. But you, in the end, it's like this relentless sort of deluge of corruption that, that can only, <laughs> the phrase I've been using a lot lately, slay the beast. Unless you sort of, unless it gets its head took off. Unless there's a sort of a meaningful change, not reform, but actual like, we're not having that parliament no more. We're going to do something radically different. Real democracy, real democracy. Like it seems to me that you know more about how to run your practice, the healthcare of the people you work with than some unelected person who's going to work for United Health, right? So doesn't that tell us that power does not need to be centralised in the way that it is? That the whole leftist argument for centralised government authority was meant to be so you could, you know, oppose corporate authority. Well, it doesn't do that anymore. And no cent central leftist party is even making that claim. You know, we're serious. We're very, you know, Mandelson. We're very serious about getting people rich and all that stuff. From Clinton onwards, these dudes, they're all the same. They're all just interested in paving the way for big business, just with a nicer smile and a bit of nice language around people that, are, you know, have different forms of identification. 
unless there's sort of meaningful opposition, radical opposition, serious opposition, V for Vendetta style opposition, how do you see, see, like, you know, like, of course, this phase, I know you're optimistic. I'm not trying to bring you down. I've got you on the show for the same reason you're on it, as much as I like talking to you. I've got, you know, young kids. I've got a lot of things to do. This countryside I can be looking at. I'm doing it because I believe in change, but I believe it needs to be fierce and I believe it needs to be radical and I believe it needs to be now. What do you think we should do, Doc? I'm with you, Russell, and, uh, you know, we, we don't need tinkering. The, the, the system is set up not to give us what we need. Mm. Um, you know, the, the democratic structures, be they po- party, you know, political parties, be they uh, representative bodies, you get a disconnect between the leadership and the mass membership. The leaders promise whatever, get into power, and then do something different. They are, they are not, we are not their masters at the moment. We need a system where the public are the masters and they are our servants. At the moment, we have the exact opposite. We have people we've elected who lie to us constantly and with a smile on their face, plot to undermine us, plot to take away those structures that are in place that are helping our very existence. We've, we've had a class war going on for years. We've had 10 years of austerity. We've had internal economic sanctions against the population, which estimates claim have already cost 130,000 lives. That was before the pandemic. The chief scientific officer, the former chief scientific officer, David King, estimated that our catastrophic response to the pandemic has claimed another 100,000 preventable deaths. Now, what does it take for people to realize that they're not on our side? (laughs) We do need a different system. And maybe, you know, the realization, a critical mass of people who the penny drops, they're taking away our health care. We're going to be left having to fend for ourselves. This is a time to act. I'm hoping that's the sort of, the momentum that we can we can hope to be part of creating yes as long as like police aren't granted new powers and forming crowds isn't banned um yes. <laughs> like okay that's really cool thank you doctor like two of the documentaries you've made are the sell-off that's in 2014 where can people watch that along with the great nhs heist that you made in 2019 so sell-off is on youtube the great nhs heist is on youtube we're currently re-editing it to make it um bring it up to date really with the bill and the effect of the pandemic. Um, that will be on YouTube as well. We're hoping to relaunch it in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, we want to use the YouTube algorithms to get a bump so that it gets into people's feeds and it gets the attention that it deserves. This is not a commercial enterprise. Um, anything, if we do make anything out of it, it will be go, go back into activism. Um, this is about informing as many people as possible as to what's going on. That's fantastic. I really appreciate your work. I really appreciate the way you're conveying it. I, I, I appreciate the calm manner in which you are communicating and the amount of data that you've been able to convey, the way you've stitched together the uh, events, the history of these events and the likely outcome of inaction. It's a really great way to com- convey information. It's a 
great uh, some good activism plus you got the you know you are a family doctor so you've got the kudos and cred of that so i feel that your voice should be um amplified and heard and that, that this is not it's not that we just want to prevent the dismantling of the nhs it's that we want to celebrate and further inculcate the values that the nhs comprises why do we love the nhs because it's about caring it's about looking after people it's about loving people it's about a set of values that are in opposition to the kind of um, rampant greed and selfishness that is about to be further advantaged by this new legislation we should have a world a country a nation uh, a world hopefully that is more in alignment with what is expressed by our feelings of affection for the nhs caring for one another community tolerance non-judgment but discernment scientific expertise alongside community principles we already know what kind of world we want what kind of nation we want there's it's time to put aside petty trivial differences and petty trivial desires in favor of some more important potent ideals and thank you doctor for conveying them to me it's been an absolute pleasure you know it's only when uh, you know, the penny dropped with me that we're losing something precious. Did I start to value even more the privilege of being able to give my medical advice to another human being without the contamination of money into that relationship? And that's what we're losing. And as soon as you bring money into that dynamic, it starts to pervert what you end up doing. And that's why you get mass fraud, mass overprescribing. And even unnecessary operations, you know, just to make a profit, which happens in the States. And we want to absolutely avoid that becoming normal place in this country. That's brilliant. Thanks, Doctor. I'm, I'm currently working with a group of people who, who are willing to, you know, face head on how serious the current situation is, uh, are not falling for the mainstream distraction and diversion. And we're, we're forming a group which, again, should be up and running in the next couple of weeks. And we're calling it Your NHS Needs You to play on the patriotic uh, post-war feeling of solidarity and social cohesion. So that that group uh, is forming and working behind the scenes. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, direct people towards that. Thanks, Doctor. I mean... Uh, no, thank you, uh, Russell. You, you're educating me. I, was, I was, uh, didn't sleep well because... Uh, um, having to come up against your intellect. Oh, you're so beautiful. Uh, Thank you for saying that. You're not up I, I, against it. it you're, we are in alignment. No, I've, I've, I've learned a lot by listening to and watching the stuff you're, you're putting out there. And, uh, and there's so much overlap with what I've, I've learned the hard way and also through the work we've done. Mm. It's uh, well, thank you very much. I'm honored that you would say that to me and I appreciate it. And oh, it looks like we'll be doing some stuff together going forward. All right, mate. Thanks, Doc. Thank you very much, Russell. Thanks to you. See you again. Well. Thank Stay you. in touch with us. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin with Dr. Bob Gill. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram, which is a type of platform for photos. Videos Tag- now. Huh? Videos now. And videos as well. And there's something called threads. Yeah. We can leave a voice message. Scared of that word, threads. Or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with hashtag Under the Skin. Come and see me on tour. Come and see me in uh, Warwick. The tickets with banging them out you know we've done it so well above the noise told you about that russellbrand.com now if you enjoyed this podcast by jimmy jove you'll enjoy joel Bakken and francesca and raul martinez and keep checking my youtube channel every day for new videos just become frantic about it and obsessed don't do that relax
Thanks for listening to Underskin from Luminary. Goodbye. <laughs>